the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Welcome to Dreams Not Memes Podcast. Hello everyone, this is another episode of Dreams Not Memes. Today we are back in Philadelphia with a new resident of Philadelphia by way of Tennessee and Wisconsin by the name of Kaya. Kaya is a tech professional who's in the midst of a career transition from working in the marketing realm to the HR realm, and also runs a podcast called Warmly Podcast, which focuses on the deep dive conversations that most of us are afraid to have. Welcome to Dreams Not Memes, Kaya. How's it going? Thank you, Brian. So uh, let's talk about your career first, and then we'll get into the podcast. Okay. How did you start your career, and why the tech world? Um, well, I definitely did not go into it purposefully. I have actually done a lot of different things really over my entire career, but I feel like when I say the phrase entire career, that makes it sound like I've been working for like 45 years. Um, but I went to school to study business and English and sociology, which I thought was like a killer combo. And a lot of my peers were like, do you even know what you're doing? And I was like, no, not really, but back off. (laughs) And then, um, since then, like I've, I've done a lot of different things. I've worked in hospitality. I've worked in nonprofit. I've worked in benefits and compensation, um, or like insurance also. And I just remember like the first job that I had that I actually really loved was for the Chattanooga Chamber of Commerce when I was living there in Tennessee. And I loved it because for the longest time, I kind of just loved the idea of bringing people together into some shared space. And the most like, I guess the easiest way to kind of describe why that gave me energy or the way that that could live itself out was through event planning. And so when I was in college, I was a part of the campus activities board and out of college, I actually started doing um, wedding planning on the side. I don't think you know that. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Um but I literally, yeah, I did I did wedding planning for a few years until I kind of came into this event planning role with the Chamber of Commerce. And I loved that. I kind of felt very lucky and it was unexpected that I would be able to do something like that at the age at the time I was 22. So I guess for me, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is something I really love and I get to do it right away in my career. That's crazy. Well, then I think I just got to be exhausted with how intense event planning is. And if anyone's job title is like event coordinator or event anything, like they really need to be like the VP of events (laughs) or like the director of events because it's just such a detail-oriented job. And on top of that, you also... I guess what you tend to find is that the people that are in those roles also are incredibly outgoing and they like to be around people and it can just be draining, not just from a logistical standpoint, but also a social perspective. Um, Anyway, I loved that. And I think ultimately a lot of the, the different career things that I've been doing throughout my entire career have brought out different things in me that I 
am forever grateful for, but I really got into the world of software kind of on accident and really only through some of the connections that I made while I was at the chamber. And truth be told, even being a part of that world has been pretty eye-opening. It has showed me that there are a lot of different types of work that you can do within that space. It has been interesting to learn like that you can get very involved in slash be a part of the sales organization for a software organization, but also still feel like you don't really know that much about the world of IT, but people assume that you know more than you actually really do in reality. Um, But I will say, I think like through the last four years in this current position that I'm in, where I specifically work as a part of our sales and marketing teams to sell our software product. Um, I've learned kind of what I don't like and what I do like about the work context. And what I mean by that is that I think I'm really good at all of the client facing stuff. Um, What I've realized is that I get a lot of praise for things that sometimes don't actually make me energized. And just because I'm good at something doesn't mean that I actually need to pursue it. A lot of people use those performance-based things as like their primary indicator for what they're going to do. Like one thing that I talk a lot about on the podcast of mine is the Enneagram and how some people will, depending on your type, like they will get a lot of praise about, to, I guess, for something in particular. Like um, one of my good friends is a lawyer and she's just always received a lot of praise for how detail oriented she is. And a lot of things that have led up to her being an excellent lawyer, great at communication, um, great writer, yada, yada, yada. Um, but what I like to think about now as a, I would still consider myself to be a young professional is this idea that the career you choose and the things that you'd like to do with your life don't have to be the things that ultimately garnish the most attention or garnish the most outward success or praise. And I think one of the one of the main reasons why I firmly believe that now especially is because I feel feel a little bit weird saying that, but like the job that I'm working currently is the most money I've ever made in my entire life. And it's simultaneously the most miserable I often find myself in this particular role, which is largely why I felt it was so important to pursue a change into something that I know will ultimately make me happier and allow for me to live out this desire to allow people to be more of themselves at work. Um, I have this like silly tagline that I have on all of my resumes and cover letters. And it's, uh, it originally started as I want to make work more human again. And then I realized that it sounded like make America great again, which I am not going for. But then I also, (laughs) but then I know, but then I also realized that I wasn't saying that I wanted to make work more human again, because I don't know that we've ever operated in a world where work was human in the way that it needed to be like, and, but I, I guess like what I'm thinking about specifically in that moment is like mad men, right? Where, 
Yeah, which was a fantasy. But at the same right. time, like, if you think about it, we're in the midst of a fourth industrial revolution right now. And then on top of that, if you look at the past industrial revolutions and also look at the history of management, like we're shifting from new age management to coming from Generation X management. And a lot of boomers still believe in Generation X management. And for those that don't know what Generation management X management is, it's a type of management style that believes in, you know, manager's always right. I'm going to work my way up the corporate ladder. Uh, I'm going to pay my dues. And like work doesn't treat us that way. Like contracts are being cut you know, as opposed to permanent hiring. And then those contracts aren't always stuck. And it's like, now we're living in a rat race more so than a madman world. And I think the the term, I want to make work human again, that, that word again, is like such a, has such soft weight because, you know, America wasn't great. Work's not great. When they say make races afraid again, they never were afraid. <laughs> and and so forth and so forth and we really have to like think about and we'll, and we'll definitely talk about more of this later in the podcast like we have to think about why is work not human to begin with because it wasn't about that it was about it was about making stuff distributing stuff making money competition yeah i think like we it's, it's a really difficult task because our society was built to be capitalistic, not human focused. It centers around the dollar, not around the human. And I would say it centers around the ego, not the heart. You did have a, a cute little one-liner about how we operate more from the ego than we do from our souls. <laughs> when? On my podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I really took from Bob Marley, full disclosure. Don't want to be happy? Well, well no. Bob, Bob Marley has a quote where it says, uh, we have to let go our ego so we restore the soul. But what I said on mm-hmm. your podcast was not exactly those words. But you I said it in your own way. I said it in my own way. But uh, this is a good segue. How did you start your podcast? Because we're seeing how the podcast relates to your career. Yeah. So the podcast, for those of you who have never tuned in, it is about vulnerability, I guess, at its core. I didn't necessarily start it because I wanted to start a podcast about vulnerability, though I will say um, Brene Brown was one of my muses and inspirations for the podcast in general. And then um, another inspiration of mine was this thing called the skin deep, which is where they sit down two people and they have a conversation around topics and specific questions they don't traditionally talk about. And what I loved about that format in particular is just that it invites deeper dialogues with humans that like, even though you feel so close to them, sometimes you, it's like you just miss the surface of like, the core of who they are. And so anyway, the podcast in and of itself, I just invite different guests on to talk about something that um, either they went through a relationship that gave them, or I guess like a relationship that challenged them. Um, And I guess (laughs) I should also say that the podcast originally was started as um, 
something that I thought would be a place where people could like write a letter that they, that they never wanted to send and basically get these things off of their chest because there was no other place to put it. And ultimately kind of like honoring the fact that in human relationships, which are admittedly so complex, sometimes we just can't say everything that we need to say. And like, we need to find another way to get, get through and process and mourn and, and move past things sometimes without the help of others. Like I've talked to a lot of people actually very recently about this whole idea of forgiveness. Right. And there are people I know in my life that I have withheld forgiveness from for different reasons that probably don't really impact the other person, but it certainly impacts our relationship. And in many ways, like there's also people who I could wait around on apologies for, but whether or not they get them is ultimately not up to me. And so in a way, like we just have to choose to get, um, get on with our lives, expecting that we may not actually get the apology or the specific words that we wish we could hear. Um, so we've talked about a lot of different things on the podcast, but ultimately it's very driven by whatever my guest wants to talk about. And I just, I wanted to do it. I started it during quarantine. Um, I wanted to always be on the radio. Like that has been a life lifelong dream of mine. Um, it actually, I kind of got to live it out sort of in a way because um, like four years ago, I was living in Chattanooga and uh, I was like obsessed with this idea of being on the radio. And this guy who I was friends with, he was like, do you want to come and like lead um, trivia at our bar on Monday nights or whatever? I was like, hell yeah. And he was like always on radio. He had some friends in radio. So in my mind, I think I was just like, this will be a fun experiment where I can just like kind of be the center of attention and be a ringleader and just talk as much as I want, create the environment, whatever. That never actually led to being on the radio, but I just still had this like unmet need slash desire to have a platform, I guess, and just speak. So um, yeah, I, I think quarantine just gave me enough literal space, especially having just moved to Philly and having essentially zero friends. I was like, well, I have the time. I I bought a mic, so that was not even an issue. And yeah, just kind of went from there. It was like, why the hell not? Now's the time. Now's the time. And do you feel like your podcast is a Philly podcast or more of a, this is my journey podcast? Because like the Philly community definitely has this uh, and, and by the community, I mean like creative communities has a knack for saying, oh, if you do something in Philly, you're a Philly this. But that doesn't always apply, especially given the fact that, you know, this is a podcast that's based in Philly, but I don't only talk to Philly people. I think it would be absolutely silly if I said that it was a Philly podcast because I think you are the only person from Philly that I've interviewed. Gotcha. So what? One out of 25. That doesn't mean that can't be a Philly anything. I, 
Well, obviously I'm trying to establish connections here. And like, I would love to continue to invite Philly people on the podcast virtually or whatever. And there's a couple actually actual literal Philly creatives that I have reached out to that are kind of in the works of potentially being on the podcast. So that's exciting just being able to branch out because this is such a new community. But I will say that I think all the people that I've had on it are people from like (laughs) my past life, so to speak. People that I've just known through life. The very first episode was my best friend from high school and she doesn't live. She lives in Chicago. Gotcha. And we haven't lived in the same city in like years. I I I don't even know if she's been to Philly. Well, that's not a bad thing. (laughs) The pretzels. Yeah, but they got pizza, hot dogs. They do have, they do have better pizza. Uh, Better bakeries. Their bakeries are open longer. Really? Uh, yeah, they got more sights to see. I'm sorry, but Chicago's the better city. But I do like Chicago, but it's colder. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's continue this conversation uh, by taking a message from our sponsors. message. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Dreams.Memes. Please make sure to follow Dreams.Memes podcast on your preferred streaming channel or on Instagram at Dreams.Memes podcast. To support Dreams.Memes podcast, feel free to contact me at adaywithoutlove at gmail.com for advertising or sponsorship opportunities. Now, let's get back to the show. Within the context of work, I do feel that there are often some, depending on like if it's super bureaucratic or even in some startup cultures, which are very borderline toxic, there can be these established expectations or boundaries that kind of make it difficult for people to ask for the things that they really need. For example, I have a friend who she started a job and within the first two weeks, I think she lost a family member, like a family member died and she felt really awkward about having to ask for the time off that she needed being that she was so new in the role that she was in. And like, we know that we can't choose when loss takes place. And this, of course, is on the extreme end, but like, bear with me. We can't predict when those things are going to happen in the same way that we can't really predict when, if at all, we might have some kind of like mental break. I was talking with another friend who I've shared with you about that recently told me that he really had a mental break and like literally 
did have the the luxury of of having an employer that understood what that meant and without him asking extended the offer to him for him to actually like take time off without that being a whole logistical nightmare of like okay well am I taking PTO am I going to exhaust my PTO by taking said 30 60 days whatever I think like those processes are built to protect organizations they're not built to make humans navigate life like for example, the bereavement policy at the organization that I currently work for, it literally is like a gradient effect, as it is in a lot of organizations, I should say. <laughs> so it's like if you lose someone in your immediate family, blood relative, either they birthed you or you birthed them, basically, you get three days or something, or maybe it's five days. <laughs> but if it's like, your grandfather or your grandmother, someone that's once removed and not a part of your nuclear family, it goes down to like two days. And anyone beyond that doesn't count. You don't get bereavement for that. And I can only speak for myself, but I imagine you might agree with me here. There are people and this is no shade to my family, but there are people that are in, in my life and a part of my life in more intimate ways than my actual literal family. And losing them in some contexts might be more devastating and might, in my mind, require more than zero days or one day or two days or five days. Um, so I think generally this whole sentiment of like people can't be themselves at work is a, we have to look at the policies that we've put in place. They're there so that everyone feels that they've got equal treatment, I guess, right? <laughs> you have to like put order into the chaos. You have to have some kind of rules, I guess, so that people know what the general expectations are. Um, but I do know that there are companies out there that operate outside of that and it, it can be perceived as like a risk. There's a company that... Um, like has their manifesto posted online and one of their um like one of their policies this is a literal policy is that you take the time that you need whenever you need it and they don't say like only after working here 60 days do you get xyz or you accrue xyz like i'm not saying that every single company needs to have an unlimited pto policy because i don't know that that has a track record of working all the time either but we we have to really rethink the policies that we've created because they've they've ultimately created an environment that makes it feel like our time and our resources are something that we have to like constantly weigh whether or not it's worth disrupting people with our basic human needs. In 1963, John Stacy Adams created a theory called the equity theory, and it's about balancing the effort between how much work an employee puts in and the result that they get out. While I do believe rules are set in place to establish a certain level of bureaucratic governance in a workplace, I do believe there's a difference between rules to instill fear and control and rules to instill balance, equity, and order for the sake of workplace harmony. 
And I believe in America, as well as many other uh, countries, depending on their hop steeds, like power, distance, orientation, are very fear-driven. Um, and, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is, like the example of your friend grieving, actually, you're both your friends grieving, they were fearful to even open up to their employer about how they were feeling because of the way management treats you know their followers and i think the best leadership development program isn't how to control people it's how to lead and work with people and the problem is a lot of stakeholders don't think about how to work with people or how to understand and relate with people and you know it's easy to say it's capitalistic but you know it's socialistic too which is why i say ego before we talk about theory because a lot of the people that created these theories were also fear-driven, you know, cis white men who controlled people for a living and got famous for it by creating a theory that's been used for the past 300 and 400 years. Now, this is not to say that I'm a workplace anarchist. I think we need to dial back and think about a lot of the organizational theory that has been written over the past 100 years designed to place equity, designed to apply feminism, designed to apply, you know, positive psychology to the workplace, but isn't used. They'll use it maybe on the first day of orientation, but how is it applied? A lot of companies espouse fairness, espouse diversity, espouse, I'm talking about espoused values versus enacted values, but their action is fear, competition, uh, vague um, performance feedback sessions, you know, performance improvement plans without coaching. And, you know, we need to throw away performance improvement plans, especially if it means firing someone. And really, we need to learn how do we develop teams and not just give teams what they want. Like, I mean, give teams what they need to have, because we focus on training and development more as a basis of what needs to get done. Uh, for the sake of competition, as opposed to what needs to get done for the sake of development. Now, granted, we're talking on a podcast, and this is a fairly small platform. It is the reality of what needs to happen, because time and time and again, it's shown us that this fear-driven way of doing business, this competition uh, way of doing business, might turn short-term profits, but it's also creating heart attacks, cancers, therapy appointments, and, you know, self-destruction of households households and it's like should our job be creating counterproductive work behaviors outside of the office i don't think so so in my mind what what it means to be human in the workplace is to create an environment for learning and development to serve your clients better and the best service comes out of development some of our best friendships our best relationships are ones that develop us to be better people not mm-hmm. ones that make us scared to be ourselves, scared to use our competencies or knowledge, skills, and abilities. And I really, really think a lot of organizational psychologists, a lot of HR professionals, a lot of managers and leaders have not learned how to practice empathy into everything that they've learned. A lot of these grievance policies, before, before I let you go, a lot of these grievance policies without lack of a better word, they're designed to keep you away from actually grieving. That's sad. It's literally built 
to protect the organization from you grieving too much because then it would impact their business need. I cannot tell you how many organizations I've been a part of where there was a very clear business need for some new role or some type of side project that lie that lie outside of what I'm currently supposed to do based on my job description and being approached by somebody that is in leadership but doesn't have the ability to have like not enough authority to say like create a new HR card or whatever. And I'm sitting in the room with people saying like, there's such a need and we would need you. We would really, really want you in this type of role, but we just don't like, we basically don't have the clearance because it right now feels like too much of a risk from a business standpoint. And this isn't, and this isn't cases where it's like, People haven't gone to bat to actually present a business case for why that type of role would be important or valuable. This is like, we have gone through those processes, but for some reason, we we agonize our businesses because we want to like quantify or make sure that there's like basically absolutely no risk before we make the decision to put somebody in a role who's going to freaking knock it out of the park and be way happier because we're not sure what the risk is. That's what, like, I'm glad that you said the thing about fear because that's what I think a lot of our policies were created around was truly, we have to protect ours. Which ironically, kind of like to our discussions about how this whole country started is just an interesting dynamic of like how capitalism was built and why we are also protective of like what we've built. And to some extent, I think that's an important thing to do is to know your value, know your worth and protect yourself as your own asset, not because you're an item to be bartered, but at the same time, like your time is something that is worth fighting for. The time off from work is something that's worth fighting for. Like we as employees, we're too fearful to ask for the things that we actually need because we know that it lies outside of the boundaries of what we should really be getting on paper. Something I've always thought was really interesting about HR um, is quid pro quo is considered to be illegal, but the means at which we get our PTO is an act of quid pro quo. Literally. Mm Mm-hmm. They won't talk about that in any HR class. Sure won't. <laughs> um, or like even in retail environments where they, or, you know, yeah, retail environments, they put employees in situations where they have to practice quid pro quo just to get a day off. You know, especially around Black Friday, I'm pretty sure there was at least one team that had a manager that said, if you work 12 hours, then you get a day off. If you don't take a lunch break, then you get a day off. Let's talk about how that sort of reward system is not based on development. It's not based on progress. It's based on control and manipulation. I do think that, I mean, we're living in an age where I do think that we are starting to see that begin to change in some 
areas, or at least with some employers. Like I, okay, so we've talked about Gary V before, and I actually feel like I've seen a big transformation in what he preaches over the last, especially three to four years, because I think like four years ago, he was basically preaching like, If you're working a full-time job, you should be working the same amount, if not more, for your passion project whenever you get off the clock. And like, I think to some extent, we're all, we can all acknowledge that a lot of us have had to use time outside of our work to put towards a passion project or a business that we're trying to build. But I think that genuinely the fir- in the first four years, or the first year, at least when I started following him, I felt like his message was burnout, burnout, burn, burnout, like burnout over like being okay and like still experiencing life no excuses blah 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 I feel like I've seen a very different message from him especially in the last year alone talking about things like empathy and also just from like an insider perspective I know of somebody that works there who literally went to him and was like this is the kind of thing I want to do. And within two months was transitioned to that type of role because simply because someone opened their mouth and was like, this is the kind of thing I want to do. He was like, let's make it happen. I'm not saying that like, just because someone is unhappy in their job that they deserve to be transitioned to something completely different or completely new. But I think that business leaders to be need to be more willing to operate their businesses around the skills of their team and developing them in roles that they feel confident in and excited about instead of trying to pigeonhole them into things that they're like, yeah, I meet the requirements, but I definitely am not excited to be here today. You know? Yeah. I mean, that, that ideation comes from like a Six Sigma Jack Welsh uh, management style where it's like, you know, only develop the high potentials, only the 10% cut off the fat. And it's like, again, you're creating fear, you're, you're creating anxiety. And like, when you're creating your workplace to be about anxiety, and this is why I say we need to look at the behavior, not capitalism, but socialism, because there are socialistic cultures that have the same anxiety, the same fear, but due to different reasons you're creating an environment that lacks development and has high levels of competition, but also high level of burnout. And what we really need to have is high level of innovation and high level of harmony. Because when you have workplace harmony and, and you know innovation, you're allowing creative ideas to be there. Your employees are happy. Your employees live longer. Your healthcare costs go down. You know, people are sleeping, money's being made. There are, there's a quantity to quality. And that's what I think a lot of people haven't looked at versus, you know, we have a hundred employees. We fired 90 of them because we scared the shit out of them and we only kept the best 10. And we're going to keep that cycle going on for the next 40 years. And essentially we created 4,000 heart attacks. Like you don't I, see I mean, that on anyone's website. <laughs> I know that sounds dark, but like we really need to stop and think about how how many companies have created a level of workplace stress that is correlated to the amount of heart attacks and, and other bad diseases in America? Like, I don't want to have that co- topic or discussion right now in this episode, but that's something that I think all of us listeners, 
should think about. Like, is your workplace creating stress? Is it creating cortisol in your body? Is it, you know, slowing the, the, the blood flow to your brain because of the manipulative control that it's putting on you? If the answer is yes, then maybe we all need to make a change, leaders included. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that we would have to look far. No. We don't have to look far because we, like in my circle alone, I could count on one hand probably the number of people who genuinely feel seen as humans like that their human needs are actually addressed and not in a risk, not in a reactive way, but in a proactive way. Like I have a friend who just started at this company and is like going through their onboarding process right now. And he didn't even know that this is a real thing, like until going through this onboarding process, but they have um, this stipend that they provide for your daily lunches every single day, even though it's still quarantine, like they just give you a lunch, lunch benefit basically for the first three months. And then they also provide you with this stipend for any random things you kind of need for like your workspace. And all you have to do is spend it by the end of the first quarter that you're on board with them. Um, and then I think there's like other non-monetary things. This, these are just the two that are like coming to mind from the conversation, but it's like not enough companies are doing that. And and honestly, like when you add it all up, it's really not that much money that you're giving these people, but it's the fact that you're proactively saying, how can I help this person adjust to this brand new role, especially during such a confusing and tumultuous time? How can I make that easier for this person? Instead of asking, oh my God, how can I cram all this information into this one person and make them as useful to me as possible ASAP? That's how onboarding's created. Is that, should how, is that how it should be? No. Like when we think about it, I think like we, we are young relatively. And so we're a part of that generation where everyone's like, oh, you're only, you're only there for a couple of years. And then you just bebop around to the next thing anyway. And it's like, well, first of all, I've been at the company I've been at for four years now. Second of all, I did do that for a couple of years and it was great because it got a lot of different experiences. Second of all, my companies weren't willing to compensate me enough for like what I was worth. And fourth of all, a lot of these create these positions. You said second of all twice. Um, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these companies create positions that allow beat bopping. Like when the position yeah. in the job description says six month contract, what you're really communicating is we want you to beat bop. So like job hopping, shaming is not okay. But like, most of all, I feel that a lot of companies create their onboarding like a surfboard as opposed to an onboard. And what I mean by that is, here's the way, get on the surfboard. If you crash, you're, you're trash. And if you keep on surfing, you, you've made it to the Olympics, you know, because all we're giving mm -hmm. you is the wax. We don't care about teaching you how to get on the board. And we really need to think about how that's actually screwing their return on investment. Because at that point, you're gambling on human capital as opposed to investing on human capital. Well, and even with that environment too, like, so recently, um, someone that I report to has been tasking me 
with the project of basically pulling together all kinds of resources for anybody that would need to onboard in the type of role that I'm in. So me and a couple other people have been pulling these resources together and basically we presented it and the person that we were presenting this to basically was like, oh, there's too much information. No one's going to read that. Like what? So first of all, if we're not even thinking about it from an HR perspective of like, how are we generally acclimating them to the fact that they're taking on this new role and making sure that they feel like they're a part of the fold. There's also a whole other conversation, which again, probably we won't even get into here, but it's this whole idea that like everything that they would need to know can be summarized into this one thing. When in reality, every single person I've ever talked to has been like, yeah, there's a lot that you can go through in training, but a lot of what I learned actually came after the fact, like just on the freaking job training. There's just things that you cannot, even if you boiled it down to this freaking formula, like all these old ass white dudes did years and years ago, there's still much to be desired because we're building these processes for robots, not humans. Yep. And that's, and that, of course, is going to vary industry to industry because sometimes you know, you really learn the job by actually doing it. You really hone a skill by doing it. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we can't treat people like surfboards. We have to onboard them. It's very clear that you want to help humanize work. And we've we've definitely had some dialogue around how can we make the workplace better? What are some ways that you'd like to start that journey? Well, I think that it's important for me to say that I... I have a lot more learning to do. Um, so I've never worked explicitly in, in a role that was HR only. Um, I have a good relationship with the HR team at the company that I currently work for and have honestly over the last several years kind of been pulled in by various HR people to like help with various initiatives that all kind of dabble in and around, but I've never fully just immersed myself in that work explicitly. And so when it comes to actually enacting change, I genuinely feel like the first thing I just want to do is to be in it and learn hands-on how those things are actually enacted. Partially because I think that I don't really love the idea of like turning the entire system on its head. I don't know that that's ever like an effective way to make real change just in general, sometimes it's possible. I think that most people are not that dedicated or that driven. Like we've talked about this. You are exceptional in the way that you embrace change and lay out kind of the steps that you want to take towards change. But like most people are change averse. And so I don't think that there's one thing that I can say absolutely would need to take place immediately. But what I've always said um, to folks that I've like interviewed with for HR roles is that for me, I think that I see what I want to do in 20, 25 years. And I'd love to, in 20, 25 years, be, um, a part of leadership for an HR, like a, I'd love to be a part of the leadership for a company that takes their people seriously, both the way that they, um, attract those people but 
more especially the way that they invest in those people. I think what I've grown really weary of is the fact that we basically, we basically just call people at work family. And that has always felt very invasive to me because I think like family A can be a super triggering thing and doesn't really look perfect or feel perfect most of the time. And so when people at work call each other family, I'm just like, so you're just allowing and excusing a lot of dysfunction to happen. When in reality, like we need to recognize that for many people, like we're spending a lot more time doing this thing, whether it's building a business or supporting a business, whatever, that more than we would actually spend with like our literal families sometimes. And so I feel like for me, the very first step is figuring out how we how we change the expectation of of people in in the workplace and kind of like I said earlier instead of viewing them as temporary placeholders or like people to fill a specific need but only for a specific period of time I want to ultimately be a part of an organization that views people as so much more complex than that and so much more nuanced than that to the point where like we understand that there may be risks and there be there may be avenues that we go down and things that change and evolve as this person grows with us but I think that that's just a really scary business model and I don't know what it looks like in practicality right now to be honest with you but that's what I hope a lot of my work in the future will center around, if that makes sense. Yes, and hopefully in due time, like how you would model that around or practice that comes to light. Um, what are some things you'd like to do to move forward with your podcast? Well, so to date, I've mostly interacted with people that I know personally. And that for me has been incredibly wonderful because I feel like I've gotten to know folks that I thought I knew really well, just in a different light. And recently, like I was actually going through my list of contacts, like for sending out Christmas cards, well, holiday cards, um, and like realizing that there are people that I have connected with this year that I've known, but just am learning in a new way. And it has like grown the intimacy that I feel in my life and with the broader community. So ultimately, I selfishly would like for this to continue so that I can just know better the people that are in some way tangentially a part of my life. Because I just, I know a lot of really fantastic people and I'm proud to know them. And I'm, I'm ultimately really excited that this in some ways has just been like a platform for a lot of those stories to be told. Um, I've always like kind of made this joke, not really publicly, but just in private that like I could never have a podcast. It was just always me through and through beginning to end. Cause I would just be like, well, I do have a lot to say. I think it would just, it just wouldn't be me. I, I love connecting other people and allowing them to kind of share their stories, whether that's with me or someone else. Um, 
one of the, like one of my proudest moments or moments where I felt most alive was actually the very last night that I spent in Chattanooga, Tennessee before I moved here to Philly. And it was um, like a dinner that was put together by two of my dearest friends. And they, it was a group of like 30, 35 people that ended up like coming through um, at this ramen house actually. (laughs) And and like they kind of did this thing where everyone went around the room and just said something that like that happened because of us knowing one another or something like that. And a couple of people said in particular, like I wouldn't know any of the people in this room. I wouldn't know X, Y, Z if it weren't for Kaya. And it's not that she specifically introduced introduced us to one another, but that because of the way that she invites others into her space and creates this environment of you can be your whole self here we felt mutually attracted to what she stands for so much so that we realized that we also could find that in one another that for me is kind of an extension of what I hope is happening with Warmly and what I hope will continue to happen I do hope that it also branches out and I get to invite and tell the stories of folks that I haven't lived life with because I know that those are out there. Um, like you're an example of one of those. We've not known each other for very long, um, but you're somebody that has become very special to me and you are able to so beautifully write, you know, the music for Warmly. And, um, you know, of course I, I like, I'm very fond of our personal connection as well, but it's just, um, it's, I do hope to see more of that. Um, that I'm able to connect with people. Maybe that warmly is what initially connects me to them, but that it's it's not like the end of the conversation. It's not the end of the relationship. Ultimately, I think like vulnerability, when it's just like put out there can sometimes be tiring and exhausting um, to tell a story and just to have it sit there doesn't really do anything. Like I think that telling a story, sharing where you've been, what you've been up to, how you got there and the things that like maybe challenged you along the way is in my mind, like meant to connect you with other people. And, and that's, I feel like that's kind of vague, but that's what I hope for warmly is just that it continues to connect people. Um, not necessarily like guest to guest, but like one of the, one of the guests I had um, last month, she shared a lot um, about a very personal experience that she went through. And she had a lot of folks that actually listened to the episode and like reached out to her years after, like hadn't talked with her in years and reconnected with her. And she was like, this has been such a wild journey. And she was like, I couldn't have imagined that all of these like connections would be rekindled because of this but I'm so glad that I did and that was it was just so cool to know that this silly little platform where we talk about vulnerable things like had the capacity to like reunite her with people and her life that like she didn't even really know that she missed or that she needed but it it meant a lot to her and like by extension it just really touched me and, you know, I think that the concluding point, not just to your podcast, but also to our discussion on humanizing the workplaces, if our creative platforms can connect people, 
why can't organizations? Most of the times, organizations either deliver a service, sell a product, or are the middleman of a product, right? And a lot of those products are created by creative means. So on a singular level, if we're able to change people's lives by means of connection, networking, and storytelling, why can't we also treat our workplace as a means of transformation by being better employees, serving people better, treating each other better, getting paid more, not hoarding things, et cetera, et cetera. So the biggest thing that I've learned from this conversation is if we have the ideas and theories to be better, why don't we start practicing being better? So this has definitely been a good episode of Dreams Not Memes, and I'd like to ask you, do you have any shout-outs that you'd like to give to anybody? Mm. Um, not into any people in particular, but there is a cause that I regularly um, talk about on my platforms, like personal and otherwise, called the Loveland Foundation. And this was founded by Rachel Cargill. And the Loveland Foundation is basically a therapy fund for Black women and girls. And I know a lot of incredible people, but um, a lot of those incredible people have also like rallied with me to give to causes that I think are important and we need to like shift our eyes to. So I would just say if anyone's interested in learning more, they can obviously tune into Warmly, um, but give, give to people um, of your time, of your resources, of your money to those who don't have it. Um, and one way you can definitely do that is by giving to the Loveland Foundation. Indeed, indeed. So uh, the links to the Loveland Foundation will definitely be in the description. I thank you, Kaya, for your time. And also thank you for letting me write the new theme song for your podcast. Uh, if you like the Dreams Not Memes podcast theme song, definitely listen to the Warmly podcast theme song. And if you own a brand of any sort and need a theme song written, feel free to contact me. And uh, this has definitely been a good episode. So thank you for your time. Hi, this is Brian from A Day Without Love. Thank you for listening to Dreams Not Memes. I just want you to remember, your dreams matter. If you'd like to support this podcast, email at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for donation information, or follow me for weekly episodes. Thank you for listening and joining my journey. Have a good day.